Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. And uh, today we've got a little bit of a different episode for you. We're going to keep this one a little bit shorter because in the same week we're recording uh, the episode for next week as well. Kind of lining some episodes up before we have some business that'll keep us all a bit busy. Yeah, so Steve's away on traveling for work and we figured, you know what, we'll stretch this episode out to two and give you guys a little bit of bonus content in addition. So I know a lot of podcasts in the gaming verse talk about what they've been playing lately before they get into their main review and that's what we're going to do this week as well. And we'll save the design discussion for next week and we're going to have a special guest on for that episode. So I'm super excited. That's right, and our review after we talk about what we've been playing is on Brook City, the second game in the modular deck system from Blacklist Games. And that's exactly what our review's going to be on next week, or our design discussions will be on next week, is that modular deck system, so stay tuned for that for sure. Yeah, this is pretty appropriate because as of right now and for the next month or so, Alter Quest, the third game in the series, is uh, on Kickstarter. And speaking of Kickstarter, I guess that's where I'll start off for what I've been playing lately, which is a game that I just downloaded today because there's a free print and play for it for a game called Dungeon Brawler. Oh, yeah, I had seen, uh, I think they had ads on BGG for this. Yeah, it's a very light, you know, card-based only dungeon crawl type of a game where you have four heroes, and the cool part about it is actually something we're working on for one of our designs, which is no matter how many people are playing, there's always going to be four heroes, but up to three of them could be, like, not AI-controlled, but super simple heroes to control, and they're going to work differently than the rest of your heroes, and for the rest of your heroes, you're playing with a deck-building type system. So, uh, you talked about this, and you said you seemed pretty excited. Uh, What were some of the mechanics you thought looked neat from it? Well, first of all, it's super cheap to get into. This isn't what excited me. It's $20 pledge, and that includes shipping, and that's worldwide anywhere, so I don't know how they're going to make that happen, first of all. Oh my gosh, I... That's the worst idea ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we had Dark Dealings go through not that long ago and had some VAT taxes that were $25, and that's, again, for a $20 game, it is, uh, I don't know. So that that's my main concern with this game, is that it is a first-time designer slash publisher, and they're going to make mistakes like that. So, so let me start with that as a cautionary tale. But the game mechanics, some of the things in the game super excited me and so i could talk about that a little bit too yeah yeah go ahead all right so you're gonna have again four heroes no matter how many players and it's going to basically be a line of cards and enemies are going to damage you based on what position you are on the line and you may have ranges for some of your characters so some characters can only attack at range one and so you'll need them to be closer to the front things like that So that part's cool, and they're in four different classes, and these classes are based on colors, and the enemies are also based on these colors. So, like, red is the melee class, green is the range class, purple is, like, the magic class. 
So you start the game with five basic attack cards, and these are torches. Don't ask me why. I think that thematically is a little bit off. Those are your four attacks or five attacks are, are torches. But then you have these other gem cards, which add to your attack. You know, they boost your attack. So your basic attack does one damage, but each of these gems you play on top of it is going to give you plus two to your damage. So you, you burn the enemies and then, like, cut them with a rock? Basically, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so... The way it works is you're going to spend one card up to as many as you want, as many boosters you have on top of that original attack, or you can just use a basic ability that's on your character card itself. And when you spend these things, they go into this loot pile that you have, and then if you kill the monster, that'll also go into the loot pile, and it may say, draw two cards from your deck and add one more to the loot pile. And however many cards you have in the loot pile, that's what you're going to use for the deck building money that you use to build your deck. And the colors are also important. So typically you can only buy items of the color you start with. But if you defeat a monster of a different color, then you'll be able to dip into that class as well. So if I killed, you know, I was a red character class, a melee class, but I killed a yellow creature that round, then I'll be able to get those yellow cleric items for that round. And now later, if I use that cleric item to attack somebody, then I'll be able to get more cleric items. So I'll be able to multi-class more and more as the game goes on if I want to, or I could kind of stick within my class as well. So this sounds pretty cool. Is there a uh, but coming in from your first couple of plays? Well, let me go to the other cool part of it, which I haven't gotten to yet, which is they do a really good job of integrating the thematics with the cards themselves. So at first I saw they have a treasure card and a mimic card. So some of the cards that come down this dungeon line, some of them will be good for you. Like there'll be food and everybody draws a card. So again, thematically, you're becoming more healthy. They have a treasure card. And the way the treasure chest card works is you draw three cards and two of them you put into your loot pile. Well, that makes sense. I'll be able to buy better cards this turn. And then they have this mimic card, which is a chest, but you know, that's attacking you. And there you only draw one card, but you have to put two to your loot pile. So again, thematically makes sense you're still getting loot from this chest but but you're getting damaged in the fight with it sure yeah yeah i get the idea exactly so a lot of these cards are super thematic then there comes the but the big thing that i noticed was that it was too easy like to use a lot of my cards because there were a lot of cards that you could add on as add-ons and you're just doing more and more damage and i do all this damage and then I kill the monster, and then the monster says, draw two cards and put one to the loot pile and put the monster to the loot pile. So now I've got all this money to spend. So I've got like five, six, seven money, and I'm still full on health after I'm done fighting. And it happens pretty much every round. And so it, just the scaling is wrong somewhere. You know, either the cards aren't expensive enough or I'm able to do too much damage. Maybe I shouldn't be able to boost my attacks like five, ten times, but They've done such a good job with the thematics of it that I think it's something that will be pretty easy for them to fix. And again, it's got plenty of days left to go in the campaign. It's, it's still fairly new. And so hopefully they can fix the scaling problems. Well, maybe also suggest, I mean, gosh, how do you add shipping charges? Because that's the part that still concerns me more. Like, would that require, that would probably require an, a relaunch of the campaign, I would guess, right? Yeah, and they've already funded. I mean, I think they're going to end up funding a lot of this out of their pocket. Yeah, I mean, if they only make like $8,000, I'm like, how do you even get the game made and shipped from China or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, there's always fears with first-time designers and publishers, but I don't know. It's only 20 bucks to some degree, and to be honest, there's a print-and-play, a free one that everybody could download and play right now, and I definitely recommend doing that. 
All right, well, that was uh, Dungeon Brawler. The first one I've been playing, actually very recently, is called Spell Saga. And there's also a, a pretty small game, uh, I think self-published. It's by Subheathen, which I've never heard of. I think it's the only game they do. Basic idea of this game, they describe it as a like sort of a fantasy novel in card adventure game format. Huh. Now, I don't get that much. I, I think it's very much a... A fun kind of explore around roguelike-ish um, adventure game. There is a cool story to be told, and I've seen part of it because I haven't finished uh, the whole game that I have yet. But you know, like I, he he pushes the novel thing a lot on there, and there's, and there's not very much text to read. Like mostly, you're just playing the game, so I, I think that's a little bit misleading for people who like want to just read a novel. But you're in. It, it's a really cool setting. It's one of the coolest settings I've seen in a game recently. It's a post-apocalyptic fantasy setting. Oh, cool! So it's like still fantasy. There's still air, like elves and pixies, and and like you know, no, no like technology at all. Like people don't have flamethrowers and stuff. It's just like the world has been destroyed, and you're trying to figure out how, basically. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, and you're called the last minstrel because uh, in this world, like music is magic. Uh, so that, that's the first thing that attracted me to it. If anybody's read the uh, the name of the wind. Um, by Patrick Rothfuss. Like, I love that book and the whole, like, idea of music kind of being tied to magic in some ways. Well, you lost me a little there, sorry. Well, okay. <laughs> but I do like Name of the Wind, but I don't like the idea of being a... <laughs> Who wants to be the bard in D&D? Come on, no one. Get everybody, man, everybody. So the way the game is played, you have, like, your hero, and you can hold some items, and these are all card-based. Like, the entire game is cards. Every turn you draw one or more cards that you can add to your source, which is your bank to pay for things. Although you're not really paying for things. It's kind of more like your fate that lets you encounter the stuff you want to encounter. And cards also go into your hand, which is basically just cards kind of hanging out there until you want to buy them. But then you also have to draw a card to encounter a card. And you've got like these story cards that come out as you do different things in the game. And the story cards govern what cards are eligible to come into play. So... You won't get, like, the best cards for you and the most powerful items, but you also won't face the most dangerous enemies. So it's kind of like as you go around doing cool stuff and as your story spreads, you gain access to cooler things and become more epic for yourself, but you have to face greater challenges and threats. But the game is super, like, roguelike, very exploratory. There is a correct way. So just to kind of tell you how it's published... Um, I think you just have to order it from Subheathen. I don't think you can get it anywhere else. And uh, there's two decks so far, plus some extra ones you can add. And a third deck is coming this year. And by the way, I'm going to do a playthrough of this. That's why I have the game. So you'll be able to see everything I'm talking about in video uh, on the One Stop Co-op Shop channel. But uh, the first deck is um, the Highlands. If you do the right stuff, then you go with your current character, like keeping all your stuff straight into the forest, which is the second deck. Um, you can get a lot of play out of the Highlands, but you kind of need the second deck to do stuff. And then I haven't beat the second deck yet. It is really hard. But uh, once I beat the second deck, I'll be able to progress to the third deck. And that's like the end of the trilogy. And that's where I actually find out what happened and like kind of, you know, potentially solve the story. Now, you say you have to do it in a certain order. Is it time story-ish where like if you fail halfway through, you got to go back and replay it? Or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's time stories-ish. It's roguelike. Roguelike games, for those who don't know, are based on the idea of like sort of a randomized uh, set of encounters, often like in random dungeons or those kind of things. And you get random items and you have random encounters and the game plays very quickly. But usually in roguelikes, if you die, you go all the way back to the beginning. You have to start the game all over again. 
So that's definitely the case here. It's pretty tough to die in uh, the first deck. Um, you can get have bad things happen. You can lose cool items, but I haven't died very often. But uh, the forest is pretty deadly, and I imagine deck three will be even uh, nastier. But yeah, I'm enjoying the game. Some of the rules are... It's not that they're like... I'm trying to think how to describe this. All the rules are in the rule book, but not always explained as clearly as I'd like. So I've asked the designer a few rules questions, and there's some uh, threads on BGG as well. And in every case, like when I found out the correct rule, I've been like, oh yeah, that was in the rule book. But not in a way that I could have understood it just by reading it on my own, if that makes sense. No, totally. But that that's pretty minor. I've only had a couple uh, like questions that I had to have clarified. And again, I was able to find the answers pretty quickly. It can get a little bit too much sometimes. Like sometimes you have too many cards going on, even though you are limited in like how many items you have. And I could see people feeling like it gets a little bit repetitive after a bunch of plays. Now, I don't feel that yet because the decks are very large. So you're going to see different allies and different items and different encounters in every playthrough. But the fact that, like, it's the same way to get to the next uh, mission, you know, I could see some people not liking that after playing it three or four times. But uh, it's, it's fairly inexpensive, at least for one of the decks. I guess if you buy all three, it gets pretty expensive. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. We'll, we'll see how I feel about it after I finish the forest and if I ever get to play the third deck. But yeah, check out the uh, the playthrough coming soonish. And what's the name of that one again? Spell Saga from Subheathen. And I'm not sure if you can order it outside of the United States because I'm pretty sure it's a uh, U.S.-based publisher. Now, is that cooperative or is it only solo? It is only solo. Yeah, sorry. I know this is co-op cast and I'm talking about a solo game. And by the way, if you go to the website, they have a pretty detailed walkthrough of like the first uh, eight turns in a game that will really give you an idea of how to play the game. It definitely helped me out a lot and also just kind of lets you know what it's all about. But the art, I love the art. It's kind of like watercolor-ish without too much detail, very fanciful. I'm sure some people will hate it, but for me, it definitely hit the right spot. Awesome. Well, let me talk about another game, Deckscape. And I know we've spent a lot of time early on talking about the Exit series, the Unlock series, and the one we kind of forgot about is Deckscape. Deckscape is an escape room game, and the one I played most recently, now I've played all of them. So the one I played most recently is called The Mystery of El Dorado. And in that one, I mean, just like all of them, you have a deck of cards where you're going through. So it's very similar to Unlock, except in Unlock, it tells you to kind of skip 10 cards, go to card 67, find this card. And half of the time in Unlock, it feels like you're searching for cards, whereas Deckscape is pretty linear in the way you go through it. The other feature of Deckscape is they'll typically at some point in the adventure break it up into three decks. And this is where I think Deckscape shines over both Exit or Unlock is it's better for larger groups. Now, I'm not saying you need 10 or 20 players. Actually, when I played it, we only played it with two. But I think there is more to do for larger groups. And the other feature of Deckscape is there is a hint system within the game, but more than not, you won't get stopped or frustrated the way you do in other escape room games because the way it works is you basically work on one card at a time and when you think you have the answer to that card, you flip it over and it tells you the correct answer. And if you're wrong, you mark down an X and that'll cost you some time. And if you're right, you just continue going. But either way, you're progressing constantly through the game. So I think for newer gamers to puzzles or younger gamers i think this is a better way to go or to be honest for me even i really like the failing forward 
process. And yes, maybe I'll lose some time, but I'm never going to get stuck in a frustrating way in any of these deckscape games. And I think the quest for El Dorado was a really good one. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I have that on my shelf and have not played it yet. So sorry, (laughs) but thanks for letting me borrow it. Yeah, you've played some deckscape games. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever do a review of Deckscape, but the thing you mentioned about the failing forward, I really don't like it. Like, it left a very bad taste in my mouth the first time I played them, so it's definitely... I probably still like it better than Exit, just because I hate the destructive nature of Exit, and I like that with Deckscape and Unlock, I can pass it along to a friend and they can play through it too. But, you know, I feel like I'm never truly stuck in Unlock either because they have a pretty robust tutorial system, and if I really want the solution for something, I can ask for it. But I hate the fact that with Deckscape, if I'm like thinking along one line of solution for a puzzle and I'm just wrong or I have one part wrong, it just gives me what the answer is and that's it. I cannot think on that puzzle anymore. With Unlock, if I get a wrong thing, it forces me to kind of like reassess and I can tackle it another way and maybe still figure it out or I can ask for like a hint and help myself to figure it out. So yeah, Deckscape I felt was like very unfulfilling because I did do great on some of the puzzles, and then it just, like, pushed me forward, and I never got the chance to kind of, like, grapple with them. I just had the solution, and that was it. So, yeah, I, I find it, in terms of puzzle solving, probably the least fulfilling of all of these uh, kind of, like, unlock, uh, exit, br- or escape room series of games. And that's just going to depend on your personality, obviously, because yeah, for absolutely. me, that absolutely. was a huge pro. And obviously for you, it was something that was very negative. Um, I will say that sometimes even when they give you the answer... I have to do some puzzle solving to figure out how they got to that answer. (laughs) Yeah, no, I had that too. So I will sometimes even pause the timer and be like, all right, I don't get it. Like clearly most people can move on, but not me. I got to like stop the timer and like, no, really, how did you solve that puzzle? And like totally backwards, figure it all out. All right, so my next one is a game that I had covered on the channel in a sort of a preview review of the Kickstarter a while back, and Colin did several playthroughs, and that's a Thunderstone Quest, specifically the Barricades mode that's in the uh, new expansion that just delivered to Kickstarter backers. So unlike Spell Saga, which I was sent by the designer, this one I, I paid for myself. Now, hold on. Before we get further... If this is no good, then you're responsible because I know they took a lot of your advice in uh, how to fix some of the problems they had with the original Barricades mode. Well, yes, this is kind of funny. Like, literally, the designer of the Barricades mode commented on my YouTube review and it's like, hey, we're going to change some things. And then uh, they released a second print and play, like, at the end, near the end of the Kickstarter that basically did all the stuff that I said they should do. So it's your fault if it's no good. So I'm expecting to hear nothing but bad things from you. Or, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> with that in mind, um, it, it's very mixed. So for those who don't know, Thunderstone Quest is, I think, the third iteration of the Thunderstone line. But it's a uh, dungeon crawler-themed deck builder where you level up heroes, which is very different than most dungeon... Or, sorry, very different than most deck builders in that, like, your cards level up, like, one type of your cards, and then the heroes are the ones who carry items. But, yeah, and you're, like, fighting monsters and trying to get experience points. Or, well, victory points that's also experienced to level up your heroes. So that's the competitive version, which is how the game was designed, how the game's been forever. Although I think they did have a not super well-loved cooperative version in one of the previous ones, like Thunderstone Advance or one of those. But uh, this one is a full kind of variant with a bunch of stuff that allows co-op or solo play. So I'm a little bit mixed on this, um, as I was in my original review. 
they did fix several things that I didn't like. They made the uh, locations much more balanced, so they're pretty much all interesting now. They made the the like little level up classes that you can do way more interesting. That was all good. They did not keep. So this is interesting. Uh, one of the big complaints I had is that uh, cards in this deck builder are balanced by a victory point value at the bottom of them. So weaker cards are worth more victory points. So in the competitive game, you might still buy those to kind of uh, fill your deck with victory points, even though it's not good for your deck. That's a that's a viable strategy. But in this one, victory points mean nothing on the cards. They are completely useless, which is unfortunate. This is one of the biggest complaints I had in my review because uh, the cards are balanced based on those things. You just have cards that are terrible because they're not worth anything else and you're never going to buy them, and they just sit in the market, because this is a Dominion style, like these eight cards are available and that's it kind of deck builder, and you'll just never buy anything. So that's unfortunate, and it's weird because they had made a fix in the second print-and-play, but then they rolled that back to the rules as they had been in the first print-and-play for the actual published edition. Um, now, you know, I'm sure that the, the fix they had didn't work out that well, and that's why they did that, but I wish that they had, like, considered making some other fix instead of just throwing out the idea of giving the victory point value is meaning uh, in any way. But besides that, solo, I, I tried running, like, two sort of players at the same time because they do have some cooperative elements in there where you can, like, join together and have your fighters fight with each other. But it was way too much to run. Uh, Thunderstone Quest is... A smooth game in the competitive game because you usually either go to the village to buy stuff or go to the dungeon to fight monsters and that's it. So it's very easy to kind of keep track of what you're doing and which abilities you're using. But the barricades mode, another thing that I really don't like about it is that it forces you to do both every turn. You buy stuff and go to the dungeon. And like you can use cards in the village but also use cards in the dungeon and it gets really really hard to keep track of everything. So I had a really hard time playing two characters at once. Playing solo is fine. You know, it's it's not as polished as a pure co-op design like Aeon's End or Battle for Greyport. But I still enjoy it a lot. The cards have great variety. There's, like, so many dang cards in the game. And, like, the thing is, I, I look at the solo as I'm playing, and I'm like, this is not designed as well as I would like. But then I'm very addicted to it, and I want to play it again immediately afterwards. Because, like, kind of puzzling out how to best use these cards is a lot of fun. More fun than probably any Dominion-style deck builder. I mean, it's even more fun than Aeon's End. Like, building my deck in this and, like, leveling up my heroes is more viscerally exciting than any of the stuff I do in Aeon's End in my plays of that. So all that being said, it's fine. I would not at all recommend anybody buy Thunderstone Quest for co-op or solo play because the base game is incredibly expensive and hard to find, and the expansion is pretty expensive too. But it's a fantastic competitive deck builder. So if you're fine playing it in both modes, then go ahead and get the expansion because all the stuff can be used for competitive as well. But it is not a fulfilling enough solo and co-op package to spend like $150, $200 just for that small portion of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's funny because they have a system that works with the you either go to town or go to the dungeon why would they completely change Dude, it for I, I have no idea, because it also invalidates a bunch of cards that give you the power to do both. So, like, they literally have dead cards now in the game because the card has no purpose because that already happens. It's a really... It's a mystifying design decision. Like, I just don't get why you take the most interesting choice a player makes on their turn and remove that from the game. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it definitely bothers me. Well, and then, again, the victory point thing, I get where victory points don't work in cooperative games, 
But they could have just easily made an experience and say, for every so much experience, you get to do something. Well, like, th- that's going to be my fix, probably. I'm just going to take the value of the card I buy as experience, you know what I mean? Like, to spend on my heroes and stuff, and I think that'll probably fix it to an extent. Yeah, I mean, you probably still won't add a two-victory-point card to your deck for the rest of the game that you, now you have to deal with just for two experience, but, I mean, there's there's got to be a way to, to make it work. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough of that that one. What's your next one? All right, so I don't want to spend too much time on these next couple because, I mean, especially this next one, I plan on reviewing with you very soon on the podcast, and it's going to be Diceborn Heroes. And I will say, I've only played it once so far, and I know you have a lot more feelings on it, and you're probably ready to do a review. I am definitely not, but I had a lot of fun with it. The thing that it reminded me of a lot was Heroes of Tyranoth, and Battle for Greyport, it has that three-act structure where things are getting more and more difficult as things go on. I think it, of all of those, has the best leveling system. But again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because that's going to cut into our 5 and 5 review. But so far, I've really enjoyed Diceborn Heroes. It's fast. It's easy. Certainly a game that anybody could learn. And I've just really enjoyed it so far. So I uh, look forward to reviewing that one probably in the next few weeks. Cool. Yeah, and I already have a video review up and a playthrough of that. Definitely enjoyed it. Uh, had some issues with it, but overall a good game. Definitely uh, one I would recommend to a lot of people. Uh, my next one I did play with you, Peter, so you can give your thoughts as well. Although we did not play it cooperative. And that's uh, this is from Razupath, by the way, from BGG and our Slack, so thanks for the recommendation. That's Vikings Gone Wild from Lucky Duck Games. A terrible name. <laughs> I know it's based on a uh, an existing electronic game, but still, I, I hate the name. But yeah, this is another deck builder, um, and another one with a fairly tacked-on solo-slash-cooperative uh, mode in the Ragnarok expansion. So the Ragnarok expansion is super cruddy. It's it like strips away half the stuff that makes the game cool. <laughs> so really, it's interesting that both these games have the, kind of the similar problem when they did their like little added on uh, cooperative mode. I do have some variants I'm going to probably put on BGG at some point that add the cool stuff from the game back into the expansion without uh, too much muss or fuss. But all that being said, just really quickly, Vikings Gone Wild is a really good deck builder. Like I really, really, really enjoy uh, the process of it. I got uh, the expansion, I think it's called Master of Elements, that adds a like very different way of playing it and a very different pool of cards. But uh, it's it's a game where you, you build your deck to defend yourself against other people hitting your buildings, because you also like build these buildings that give you consistent abilities, and then you try to smash their buildings for victory points. But uh, hurting somebody else's building generally does not hurt them at all. It's just like they you're getting victory points for it, but you don't knock them down to where they like fall behind in the game. But yeah, I've, I found the gameplay very fun. I think it's got a lot of cool choices. You have a lot of fun stuff you can do building your decks, a lot of cool like card options. I like the whole like attacking gameplay and the little mission system. But yeah, d- definitely recommend for the competitive game. Uh, the co-op, wait for my variant, because otherwise it's uh, pretty bare bones and kind of uh, frustrating how they designed it. Yeah, I did enjoy it competitively. Again, I haven't played it cooperatively, but I mean, it was super fun to play competitively. And I'm not a huge deck builder fan. I'm not as rabid as Mike is, certainly. And uh, I still enjoyed it. So, All right, you got you got any more, Peter? Well, the rest of mine are competitive, so I don't really feel a need to discuss any of them. Did you have anything else you wanted to go over? Or? Oh, just real quick. Uh, these are both quick. I played this game, Crusader Kingdoms. I did a playthrough on the channel. 
uh, again, a competitive game with uh, solo and co-op modes. It's fine. It's a, like, micro game. It's very quick, so, you know, check out the video, see if you like it. I, I thought it was fine. And then uh, Alter Quest, I played a bunch of the demo, and you can see our coverage of that on the channel as well. I won't talk too much about that, because I think that'll probably come up with our, in our design discussion next week on the whole modular deck uh, system in general. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I enjoyed it. I, I, I think it's great. Cool. And, I mean, the only other one I wanted to mention is Battle for Bruternia. You and I actually played this together. It's a tactical MOBA-style board game. And if you don't know what a MOBA is, it's basically a multiplayer online battle arena. So you and a team of heroes go against someone else and a team of heroes. It's head-to-head tactical combat. I really think the card play and the leveling system is really neat. And I think they do a really good job, probably better than any of the other ones I played. I mean, the graphics are not great. The, you know, the board doesn't look great. Nothing is going to make you be wowed when you look at it. But I really do think they do a good job of having lots of different classes. And unlike some of these games, I wasn't overwhelmed by the number of classes. For a inexpensive, fun little, you know, head-to-head tactical game, I think it does a real good job. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I sucked at it, but it was definitely fun. I, I liked the art. I'm, I'm a fan of the whole 8-bit kind of retro aesthetic, and I thought they they had some cute kind of graphics in there. Well, yeah, but when you compare it for, like, the Simon game, what was that one called? Oh, do you mean the other MOBA game? The other MOBA game, yeah. yeah. Oh, the C- like the pirate one? Yes. I don't know. I never played that. <laughs> well, anyway, when you compare it to that, I mean, you look at that and... You know, you compare it head to head. You're like, oh, I'm going to play this pirate one every time. But I think gameplay here is mu- is far superior to the Simon one. So if I'm going to play a MOBA style game, this would be my preferred method. They abstract some things that I think they should have abstracted in the other one. Oh, and by the way, uh, two games real quick to mention. Uh, Battle Stations Dirt Side. This is the newest standalone slash expandable kind of connectable game in the Battle Stations franchise. And the first one that can be played fully cooperative. Uh, So I have that. I'm going to do a video soon. I'm really excited because I'm an old Battle Stations fan going way back. And then also uh, Steve recommended this one, Legends Untold from Inspiring Games, which is a another card based dungeon crawler. (laughs) I have a few of these kind of like card based adventure games happening at the same time. But that's uh, delivering soon and I should be covering that as well. So really excited about both of those those were ones that I kind of sought out because I thought the games uh, looked right in my wheelhouse. So hopefully I'll uh, have positive things to say about them. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we've blabbered on enough about our recent plays. Let's get into Brook City. All right. So before we get into gameplay, I'm going to talk a little bit about the theme, which is you are a police officer in Brook City and you're going around trying to solve crimes. And not only are you a police officer, but you are some of the most famous police officers of all time, like the dude from Beverly Hills Cop and the guy from Lethal Weapon and NCIS people and some other famous people. Oh, Leslie Nelson from Naked Gun. Can't forget about him. So uh, they definitely do some homages to some of the famous movie police officers. But yeah, the mechanics of the game, if you've played or seen uh, coverage of Street Masters or the new coverage of Alter Quest, you've seen a lot of the stuff that's here because it's part of the same MDS system. You uh, each, on your player turn, get to do uh, three kind of actions, except they're very uh, strictly dictated. You can uh, play a card from your hand or draw a card. And cards are either tactics that stay in play and give you consistent benefits every turn, 
or there are these actions and abilities that kind of have one-off effects and then go away. You can also move, and uh, in this game you're either running around on foot, which is very inefficient, or you can get into cars, which is a pretty fun little element, and uh, drive around much faster, because cars drive by, like, blocks of four spaces, whereas when you run you have to move through each individual space. And then also you get an action, which will usually be like trying to solve a crime or interact with a case next to you, but you could also use it to move again or do some other things. And after each player takes their turns, they resolve all the cards in their little threat area, which is usually going to be some crimes that will add some influence as bad things happen or hurt you by adding stress to you. After everyone's taking their turns, you go and resolve the criminal turn, where the like kind of mastermind of the city tries to do some things, and they're basically the one you're racing against. The stuff they do on their turn will potentially get them influence or other things, and if they accumulate enough of that stuff, then they win and you lose. They've uh, taken over the city or whatever. And then you also have a case that you're trying to solve. And this one, in my experience, usually activates less. It's more kind of the objective that you're trying to uh, accomplish. So things you'll like bring tokens over to or try to like interact with these but you also have to balance solving the crimes that the criminals putting out so the basic idea of like winning the game is you have to solve the case before the criminal connects too much influence but if you focus too much on the case then too many crimes will build up in the city and the criminal will win that way you can also lose if any cop gets too much stress and they get kicked off the case kicked off the police force now, that was the only weird, like, thematic thing when uh, the Saddlers were describing the game to me. Because in every great cop movie, we know that the guy is, you know, their badge is taken away and their gun is taken away, but they got to go off the books and solve the case anyway. So here you lose when you get thrown out, and whatever. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, that's, that's the basics of how the game plays. The only other thing is that to do, like, to resolve crimes and a lot of those stuff, you have to roll dice. And usually we have about two dice for most effects. You can sometimes add to get up to, like, three or four. And we'll talk about this more in our list, probably. I know it's uh, in mine. But basically, the dice are very... I mean, they're still luck-based, but they're very low luck in that you get good stuff if you roll badly. Similar to what uh, the Saddler Brothers did with Heroes of Terranoth and uh, Street Masters previously. Thanks for that gameplay breakdown, Mike. And if you haven't joined us before, what we normally do is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, the least important, and going to number one, the most important. And my number five is a pure con, which is that the game is long and repetitive. The game goes on for way longer than I'd like. I mean, my last game was four hours. I've certainly played games in two hours, but I mean... It's not a quick game. And part of the problem is that they've sacrificed some things here. So in Street Masters and Ultra Quest, you have a lot of complexity in the enemy movement. So they really tried to streamline it here where there's not a lot of things going on in the enemy turns. And I really like that aspect of it. But it does lead to basically almost every card coming out of the criminal deck doing the same thing and every card coming out of the crime deck doing the same thing. And so it feels really repetitive after a while. The only difference is where these things are located on the board, which again is great for learning the rules and playing through missions, but gets really boring when the game is four hours long. Yeah. Some of the stuff you talked about will come up later in my list. I will say that I play the game in an hour or two max, even when controlling multiple cops but I am <laughs> historically a very fast player, so I wouldn't judge the, the gameplay length based on that. And I mean, I mentioned four hours a couple times. I will say that was a very special circumstance with a very slow player at a bar that was very distracting. So, I mean, 
it probably would have been a three hour game otherwise, maybe three and a half hours. But I mean, it did happen. And I'm sure that won't be the only time that happens. All right. My number five is also a pretty strict con. And that's that I feel like the theme is disconnected and also the modular decks are mostly disconnected from each other. So this game does something that an earlier cop game that I had kickstarted does. uh, That's Police Precinct. They make the choice to make you both a beat cop running around and like solving random crimes and stopping random things around the city and also a detective trying to like solve one big overarching crime and track down who like the murderer or kidnapper or whatever is. And in Police Precinct and here, I find that a weird match thematically because the two don't mesh, you know, like detectives don't get down in the muck, like just walking the beat and driving from city block to city block, like taking out, you know, like arresting drug dealers and stuff generally. And beat cops aren't, like, solving these big cases. And also, like, it kind of breaks from the theme of the movie that we were sort of promised, at least for me, because most of these movies are generally focused on detectives trying to solve a mystery. We don't really see that beat cop, like, just go from city block to city block thing. You know, you get that in, like, Training Day. You don't get that in Lethal Weapon. So the theme didn't quite work for me. But kind of the more problematic thing that made this like a full con for me is that the decks also don't work together very much. And this is like not necessarily a fully related thing to the theme, but the idea of a disconnect uh, kind of applies to both of them. So you've got this criminal deck with the person who's trying to win the game, and you've got this case deck, which is your objective. And in Street Masters and in Sentinels of the Multiverse... The kind of corollaries to those, so in Street Masters, it's the uh, the villain and the stage deck. Those interact, you know, hand-in-hand hand heavily because that's what the villain is trying to accomplish. Like, it's their objective, and they're doing all this stuff with the uh, the stage deck. And same thing with Sentinels of the Multiverse, which, uh, to my in my opinion, kind of inspired a lot of the stuff in these games. The environment deck, like, is actively doing damage to you or actively doing damage to the enemy or helping you, like, fight the enemy or doing other things. So they have, like, a lot of uh, interlocking parts. Uh, here, there's almost none. In all the cases, in all the criminals I've played, they don't do anything with each other. Like, this thing is happening over here, and that thing's happening over there. Which, again, kind of also breaks the theme for me, because I wanted to think, like, the criminal mastermind was the one who was doing the case. Like, they're the one who kidnapped the person, or they're the one who committed the murder. But nothing in the game makes it feel that way. It feels like, hey, while I'm solving this case, uh, this random schmo over here is doing some annoying stuff, and I should deal with that. And again, it just kind of makes me feel like I'm not doing one thing. It's pulling me in two directions and not in a way that I found kind of uh, uh, making me excited for the cop theme. Because I love buddy cop movies, but this didn't feel like one. Yeah, very good points. I didn't put that on my list, but it's almost like a Spider-Man movie where there's just way too many bad guys or Batman movies. You know, they got five different bad guys out there and you have to like focus on all these micro stories instead of focusing on this one large overarching story. You're right. It it did feel disconnected. Like you have multiple things going on in the game. Now that's my number five because it's not like a core gameplay thing. It's just a, uh, an annoyance when I came in really excited about the theme. Sure. So after two cons in a row, I'm going to head to a pro, which is the cops feel very different and they feel like you'd want them to feel. So again, when I was the 
you know, Leslie Nelson cop, I definitely felt like that. When I was a sniper, I definitely felt like that. When I was a person doing the tech, I was radioing in a lot of calls and things like that. So I, I did feel that they did a good job of feeling different. And this is one of my favorite parts of the modular deck system. I know, again, we're going to get more into it next week. But I love how you get these decks that play and feel very different from each other. And you don't need to put a lot into it because the decks are already built before, you know, as you go in and then you're just trying to build them up. Now, the one negative to this and Alter Quest kind of gets away from this, but similar to Street Master, Sentinels of the Multiverse, a lot of times the best way to play your deck is to build up these cards, these tactics that stay in front of you, and then you get more and more powerful as the game goes up. The pro of that is like you're leveling up as the game goes on, but the con is really it only takes three turns to do that in a 10 to 12 turn game. So like you've done all your leveling after three turns and the rest of the time you're just kind of playing your best cards at that point. So there is a little bit of a disconnect in the leveling. Plus, if you don't draw those tactics cards, then you're not going to level at the same rate and they kind of depend on you being at that higher level at certain points in the game. So while not a perfect pro in that way, like I said, the, the pro part of it for me is that the cops do play very differently and they're all kind of fun to play. Yeah, I'll discuss that later, but uh, sadly my number four is also a con. And this is one that I almost guarantee you're going to have higher up on your list. But that's uh, the fiddliness of running the game and the barrier to playing the game for the first time. So, like I mentioned, you have these criminal cards you have to, like, resolve uh, every turn, and then you have these uh, case cards you have to resolve every turn, and then each player has their own individual set of threat cards they have to resolve every turn. Now, I will say, like Peter said, that the effects here are super simple. Often it's, like, just adding an influence to the card and that kind of thing. So it's faster to resolve than, like, cards in Sentinels in the Multiverse or Street Masters and that kind of stuff. But that being said, the simplicity... This is kind of backing up what you had said earlier, Peter... The simplicity detracts from the, like, kind of feel of immersion of the game because the enemies aren't generally, like, moving around and doing interesting stuff or, like, directly attacking you. They're just kind of building up tokens. So even though it takes longer to run the game in those other games, it's more exciting to run the game. Whereas here it feels like I'm doing fairly uninteresting stuff for the enemies on each turn. So, so it's, it's quicker, but it, it lacks all excitement and investment. Now, I will say some of the cases in Criminals are more interesting than others. Like, there's one where they're stealing cars and, like, the criminals are driving around the city. And that's certainly more fun because you actually have something to interact with. But most of them tend to be in kind of this uh, not-too-interesting thing. And one other note, maybe it's similar in Street Masters, but from playing that game a lot, I can't remember any mission that was like this. But for some reason in this game, I feel like I put out a ton of cards right at the beginning. Like, one of the cases has five cards out all at once. And there's a lot of text to read. And I just found that more than any other game in this series, like, the game didn't build the complexity slowly. Uh, it, it tends to throw a lot at you all at once. And none of the cards are very complicated on their own, but kind of getting your head around all of them the first time you play a given case or a given criminal can be fairly tough, like, to see all the moving parts and how they work. So, yeah, I feel like the game's kind of tough to get into for a new player, and also um, isn't exciting when you're running kind of the enemy side of the equation. Yeah, this may or may not show up later on my list. but the oh, one I, thing I know it's going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing I'll talk about now is the 
building complexity that you were talking about that that the other systems have. And this definitely doesn't. You get all the complexity right up front, as you said, with most cases. And that's one thing I found that I had to read through the cases two or three times. Like you only have one or two cards on the table, but you don't really get it until you play through a turn or two of it. Like a lot of times you can read the words, but you don't understand the implications until they come up in gameplay. So I I do find that I do a lot of reading up front and a lot of trying to figure out, even explaining to the other people at the table, like this is what we're trying to do during this mission. There's no summary anywhere that kind of describes it. And when you read the individual parts, they don't always do a great job of kind of giving you the feel for, for what you are actually trying to do on the mission. Yeah, you're kind of like missing the connective tissue, which I get it's hard to fit all the text you need on all the cards, but just with it being cards, kind of one of the consequences is you have to fill in the gaps of how like these cards relate to each other. Yep. All right. So my number three is a mix because it's going to depend on who you are. And I said this game is more pandemic-like than advertised slash any other games in this modular deck system. And what I mean by that is there are going to be fires that pop up around the board like every turn before you do things, you draw a criminal card. Normally that'll put up another fire somewhere on the board that you're going to have to go deal with at some point. And so this criminal is going to keep building up power throughout the game and you basically have to go put out those fires or work on the long-term objective of the game. The one thing it does really well is puts it into two distinct things you have to worry about. And somebody said this, and I don't know where I got this quote from, but I think it's really true. Good cooperative games pull you in two directions. One direction is what do I need to do to win the game and accelerate myself toward the end? And what do I need to do to stop the game from beating me? but I do think it does a good job of pulling you in two different directions and which one do I want to work on now? And sometimes it's going to be more important to work to stop the criminal from winning. And sometimes it's going to be more important to solve the crime to get you closer and closer to victory. So again, it's more pandemic like than a lot of these games because things on the board are pretty static In a lot of their other games, things are moving around. When enemies activate, they move around the board. Here, you're going to place them, and you know where that thing's going to be. It's how do I use my actions and activations to get over there? Yeah, I totally agree. I'll discuss that uh, kind of pandemic-ish feel of it in my final thoughts. But hey, I've had some cons. Let's get to some pros. My number three is your number four, the cop decks and the kind of card play of the cops. I, yeah, I, I love I love unique hero decks. I loved it in Gloomhaven. Uh, I loved it in Street Masters. I love it in Centrals of the Multiverse. I'd like to play Maximum Apocalypse based on Steve and Elijah's review because that has unique uh, decks. Like any game that has unique decks, I'm in basically. <laughs> but they do it really well here. Like you said, they they each play very differently. They each have very different strengths and like cool abilities. All of them have a hook that is very obvious. Uh, when you get all their tactics out and all their like kind of uh, tools, you can do some really awesome stuff. And on top of that, just the play of the characters and figure out how you want to get from point A to point B and use your exhaustible effects and which card you want to play and which action you want to take and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's a very fun little tactical puzzle each turn. Maybe not to the level of Ultra Quest, for example, which I feel is a fantastic tactical puzzle, but it's up there. Like, it's it's really fun to play your cop, and each cop is going to be different. And even if you played, like, the exact same uh, case 
every time, just kind of playing around with different characters and like buying expansions to get more characters is going to keep this game fresh and fun, I think, for a long while. So definitely love that. Well, my number two actually plays right off of that, which is movement-based tactics. Anyone who knows me and knows my taste in games knows I love movement-based tactical games. Some of my favorites of all time are Blood Bowl and Summoner Wars. I just love that tactical puzzle and how do I move my thing around to counteract what you're doing. And uh, even Battle for Returnia, we talked about it earlier. That's one of my favorite things about that game also. It's a tactical puzzle when you're playing it. And I feel like this is a tactical puzzle where the game is putting challenges in front of you. You see them in front of your face and you have to figure out how to use your actions and activations and card plays, not only just by yourself, because there is a lot of card plays that help other people. You almost even have to determine the order of activation of the players at the table, that is important. And so that's all part of this tactical puzzle. And I I really like this kind of a tactical puzzle in games. I could not agree more. All right, so my number two is another big pro. And this is one that I think it's just going to be for all the games in this series because they keep on doing it really well. But I love the dice in this game. I, I think the Sadler brothers have the best dice systems in the business. You know, I I just want to use them in my own game designs, like, basically. But I I love that there's a lot of luck mitigation. I love that bad rolls don't make you feel bad, but great rolls still make you feel amazing. So it kind of takes out the bad side of dice, but keeps the awesome side of dice. And I don't think I explained this in too much detail in the overview. The basic idea here is that the sort of worst result on the dice is this hunch symbol, And you can either get a hunch token that will, in the future, let you turn a hunch symbol into a success, or you can, if you already have a hunch token, turn that into a success. So if you have a bunch of hunch tokens, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get as many hits as uh, dice you're rolling, if not more. And the more comes in because they have uh, exploding criticals in the game, where if you roll the crit, you get a success and get to roll another die, and you can just keep on going with that. And that's where like the excitement and the fun of the dice comes in. So every time I roll the dice in this, I, I appreciate it. And Peter said he loves movement-based tactics. One of my favorite things is, uh, you know, tight, like, kind of resource economies. And the hunch tokens you get are a resource to mitigate your luck, but they're also used by a ton of other cards in the game, like to stop damage being done to you or stop the villain from advancing their plot and that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I just love the the dice mixed with the resource management, the exploding criticals, the lack of ever feeling like a dice roll is just a total wash and you feel like terrible. It's just great. It's it's the best dice system in a game. Like I I want it everywhere. It's sort of in Street Masters. Uh, this version's better, and it's the same one in Alter Quest, and it's great there too. I just love it. All right, Mike. Well, you knew it was coming. You've yep, been waiting for it. Here's my number one. It's the dice in the game, just like you said. I actually think it's amazing. I didn't put the fiddliness in there. And I think part of the reason, and we'll get to this in my final thoughts, is I think it's the least fiddly of the series. I mean, including Sentinels of the Multiverse. So for me, yes, well, there's some fiddliness. There's a lot of reading. It didn't bother me as much in this one. Well, and it's interesting that my, my fiddliness point wasn't really about the fiddliness. It was about, I think, what you had said in your number five, maybe, that what you're doing on the enemy turn is not interesting. Yes. So it doesn't feel fiddly to me because it's hard to do. It feels fiddly to me because I don't really care about what I'm doing. Yes. it's Like I said, it's very, very repetitive. The buildup isn't good enough for the payoff. But anyway, back to the dice. 
I mean, you said everything I was going to say. I was like, oh, you didn't explain it very well in the, you know, the rules explanation. So I'll explain it here, how it works. The one thing I'll say is the sides of the dice, there is one side that is a hunch only side. There is a side that is a hunch and a success. And there's a side that's a critical. And then every other side is just a plain normal success. And so really... Two of those sides are very good if you have hunches, the side with the success and the hunch and the critical side. So you're really hoping for those. You know, I may only roll two dice knowing that I need three successes. And so you can still fail at rolls in this game. But if you fail, you knew going in you were taking a chance. Or sometimes, you know, you only need one or two successes and you just end up rolling hunch sides. And if you don't have any hunch tokens in front of you, then, you know, there's not much you can do about it. So there is failing in the game, but it never feels as bad. And as you said, sometimes you get those just amazing rolls. And the funny part is, a lot of times you roll a critical and you're like, well, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm done. But then you remember every hunch symbol you roll after that are more hunches you get in front of you. And now you're rolling hoping for those hunch sides of the dice. So I really do love how these dice make you feel really cool and powerful throughout And they have very interesting tactical decisions because when you first play, you're like, oh, I'm always going to use those hunches to make them into successes if it gets me closer to victory. But then you realize you might not need it. And so sometimes it's better to collect those hunch tokens. And some of the cases work with those as well. You know, the more you have, the better chance you have of getting cool stuff you need. So the game also encourages you to keep those hunches in other ways and for other reasons as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the best thing about the game. But my number one is a con. <laughs> this is this is funny to do for me because I, I'm a big Blacklist fanboy. Like, I adore Street Masters. That was one of my top games last year. And I'm so far adoring what I've seen of Alter Quest. And I was I was expecting to get Brook City and it was going to knock my, my socks off. But yeah, a, a lot of cons on this list. And my, my biggest one is my number one. I'm kind of surprised this didn't show up on your list at all, Peter. But maybe it's been a different experience for you. So I will say to preface this one, I think, number one, it could very easily, well, not very easily, but it could be fixed by errata or by even just like some minor rules changes. And I also don't know if this is going to be everybody's experience. I think it's been most of the case for you, Peter. I know it's been the case of uh, Jan on our Slack and a few other people. But my number one con is that the difficulty does not ramp up appropriately and that the game is uh, almost always way too easy, and in an anticlimactic kind of way. So, like Peter said earlier, you often can get at least one or two of your tactics cards, if not three out, very quickly. So your character kind of reaches the zenith of their power in not too much time. And you can also build up hunches pretty easily. But the real problem here is that most of the criminals, remember the criminals, the thing you're racing against, usually the cases don't do very much except in the, uh, the car case, uh, one where they actually are kind of like escaping, but the criminals are your timer, you know, and they're the thing that's supposed to like kind of ratchet up the tension and force you to, to stress out about completing the, the, uh, case or stopping the criminal. But for every criminal I've played, I, I would say all the ones in the base game, they don't ramp up and they don't, They don't consistently do what they need to do to get tokens. It's very easy to derail their plans, even while you're still, like, solving the case. Like, it's not even, like, a question of you dropping the case entirely and going somewhere else and, like, kind of not progressing the game forward. You can stop them cold and still progress the game. I think I had one game where I 
came a little close to one character dying because I didn't manage my stress well. But besides that, I've won every game, and not just one, but one crushingly. Like, one... It's the experience, which is a really negative experience, of a game being like an uh, hour and a half to two hour game, and... I can stop half an hour before the end and just be like, all right, well, I got it. Because I know I'm going to win and there's no question. There's no, there's not even like the sliver of possibility of me losing. It is so obvious that I'm going to destroy the game. Yeah, because the enemy hasn't progressed toward their goals at all. Right. Like, I'll, yeah, like the enemy will need, uh, you know, eight tokens and they'll have zero. <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll like be three fifths of the way through solving the case. And it's, yeah, it's just... It's it's not well balanced, or they forgot to like add in a. I mean, it, it's it's one of my biggest complaints about game design when uh, games don't have this in co-op. Uh, you can look back at my you know our Harry Potter review to hear me rail about this there. But you need to have something that ratchets the tension up and like makes the enemy progress faster. You know, look at Pandemic. Every time you draw an Epidemic card, you increase that track, and you're drawing more cards and more cards every turn. There's nothing like that here. At least for the core game criminals, you can just reach this, uh, like, sort of stasis point where nothing's happening, and and all the tension of the game is suddenly gone. I think if they errata, like, just a couple cards for each criminal, they could fix this, or even just, like, the main card, and just add some uh, mechanism that kind of forces tokens on the criminal over time, I think that would fix it. I've played around, it's kind of crazy, but I played around with the idea of giving you only two things to do every turn instead of three, like massively weakening the uh, the cops. I haven't got a chance to try it out yet, but I'm curious if that would get the balance in place. But as it stands, I've never felt challenged by the game, which has made me not really feel excited about playing it. And it's a really unfortunate thing for a game that I was greatly looking forward to. Yeah, I didn't put it on there. I do agree. I have never lost this game. You can add difficulty through adding rivals and things to the game. It does add complexity a little bit where you, you know, have an extra card to activate every turn. But the nice part about it is, again, like everything else in the game, it stays static in one place on the board and you don't really have to worry about it too much. So some of the games I've been closest to losing are games I put rivals out on the table. But even with those games, I don't even think I've ever put one progress on an enemy Ever. The only ways I've come close to losing is with stress some of those times that I've put out the rivals. Yeah, and, and me too. Yeah, and I don't love... Like, I like the rivals. I like that way of uh, increasing difficulty and also, like, variety of the game. I think all those modular elements are fun. But I wish they'd gotten, like, the core difficulty somewhere that it was at least some challenge before I have to add more cards to deal with and more cards to read before the game becomes some uh, difficulty. Well, yeah, adding complexity to a game to add difficulty isn't the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, you know, you wish that it was closer to right or there was an easier way to do it. Add a token here, remove a token there. So you don't have to add a whole new system to add the right difficulty to the game. Yeah, so with that, let's get into our final thoughts. I'll go first because I think I'm a little more negative on this game than you are, Peter. Like I said, I came into this as a Blacklist fanboy, as a big fan of the MDS system and Sentinels of the Multiverse before it. I expected to adore this game. I was super excited. And it was a little bit of a miss for me. I do think it seems to be targeted more towards a Euro crowd in terms of the gameplay. I think I think someone who likes Pandemic would enjoy this game more than me. I'm not a huge Pandemic fan. But I think that's kind of a mismatch because clearly the marketing of the game and the feel of the game is all going for heavy Ameritrash theme, in my opinion, and that's not 
really what the game delivers. For me, it is definitely the weakest entry in the modular deck system series. It feels the least balanced. The end game is not exciting. I feel like I'm going to win every time. It's not exciting to run the fiddly bits. And, you know, this system always has fiddly bits. That's something we'll discuss next week in our design discussion on it. But I think here the fiddly bits don't have anything fun about them. So that's a big problem for what could be, like, the most easily complainable part of the game. Now, I will say playing the cop is super fun. The dice are awesome. I think some gamers are really going to enjoy this. But if you're, like, coming in to play a buddy cop, like, movie... I don't think you're going to get that theme. I don't think it really comes through very well. So some people might love this game. I I'd certainly know, like Steve, for example, really enjoys it. I know there are people on the Slack who really enjoy it. But I would say if you're thinking about buying it, watch our playthrough, watch some other playthroughs, and make your decision on that. All right. Well, I'm going to tag on a little bit to the negativity before I get to my absolute final thoughts. One thing we didn't mention and it was something that kind of came up through my playthrough the other night was that the terms can sometimes be confusing in the game. And part of the reason is they use a lot of like police terms. Like you have clues on the board, you have leads you're trying to get, you have hunches, you have cases you're trying to solve. This criminal's doing bad crimes. You know, there are a lot of terms there. And it'll refer to the terms, and it's like, if you have this many crimes in front of you. And it's like, you have to look on the cards to see which ones say crimes. Now, I mean, it goes away after a while, but like, I mean, even later in the game, it's like, if you have a clue in front of you, do this. And I'm like, do I have a clue in front of me? What's a clue? Which one of these are clues? Which one of these are leads? You know, I, I couldn't distinguish the terms because they're so similar. And so for me, that got confusing as well. I don't know if you had any problems with that. No, I, I never had any problems with the uh, the terms, but I, I get the potential for that. All right, so now on to my final thoughts. So, Mike, you said this game was too fiddly. I don't know. I think it's uh, the least fiddly of the modular deck systems. Now, having played Alter Quest, having played Sentinels, and having played Street Masters, for me, this was the easiest game to run and to play. It made it a lot more palatable to play. I will say I like the pandemic theme. I like the running around and getting stuff. I wish it was shorter. Um, then it would even more so fit that taste. Or at least if the tension ramped up appropriately, as you were saying, I could feel like it was getting harder and harder and I'd be pressed to do something at a certain pace. But it has that Flashpoint Fire Rescue, you know, with the base system of that, where I could just go around putting out all the fires and the game would never end. And I feel like I could do that easily here with Brook City. So that's the negative side of it. But for me, I feel like there are ways to ramp up the difficulty. You can add a rival. You can add a second rival. There are other ways they have to ramp up the difficulty with the other enemies you have. I think it's called the Syndicate, where you know you put them out on the board as well. So there are ways included in the game to ramp up the difficulty. I agree with you, though. I wish it had been an easier way where I don't have to use more cards and more rules to ramp up the difficulty, but I mean, even games like Spirit Island do that, right? Like the base game, I don't know that I've lost the base game of Spirit Island either, but it always at least feels challenging. Where here, I think part of the problem is, as you said, half an hour to go in the game, 
I already know I've won, and I don't really need to do much going forward. But the first hour to hour and a half of the game, I really enjoyed. So I wish they found a way. And a lot of times, I'm like almost stressed out at that point. But later in the game, the problem is I get better cars, I get better whatever, I get some good combos together, and now all my stress goes away. So I wish they found a way to end it like an hour, an hour and a half in where all those things were still in play. And at least I'd feel that tension toward the end of the game. Not, oh, okay, well, now I know I'm going to be able to finish it in the next turn or two. So I'm not even going to play those last two turns out. I think there is a lot of good gameplay. I think there's a lot of fun gameplay. I think there will be people that really do like this. And it will be some people's favorite entry into the series. Because not having to move enemies around and not having to take away from what you're doing for that enemy phase for too long. I think that phase is shorter than it is in most of the games. And I think that does something good for it. And uh, that'll make some people very happy. Yeah. And I I totally agree with that too, even though I I have a lot of issues for me for the game. I mean, I I see it online. I see people who are loving Brook City and I want you to, I'm, I'm really happy that you do. All right. Well, that'll be it for this week. Again, uh, we're going to sort of continue the conversation in a way next week with a related design discussion with not just the Sadler Brothers modular deck system games, but also other kind of similar games like Sentinels of the Multiverse being a big one. Yeah, so I look forward to that discussion. We're going to talk about the pros, the cons, and I think you and I are going to be on exact opposite ends of the table. We might do some brawling next week because I know this is one of your favorite systems, and for me, it's more of a fiddly mess, with Brook City kind of being the exception where I don't think it's nearly as fiddly. (laughs) I mean, we'll see. I don't think we'll be as different as you think. I think I find incredibly enjoyable, like, nuggets of experiences, despite some clear, like, flaws and challenges, whereas you maybe just can't get past the flaws and challenges. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But we'll save that for next week. Everyone have a uh, great time, good gaming, and we'll see you at the next stop. What's the next stop? We're one stop co-op shop. How many stops are at one stop? Oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> what like oh man. Yeah, if we're the only stop. Dude, What's the you're, next stop? Are you you're, you're rooting the tagline here? <laughs> are you moving on to something else? What is this one stop next stop thing? I don't get it. Well, we, we, so we're the only stop, but it's a moving stop and we stop at different games, but we're there one stop. So it's like a bus. that goes around in a circle and keeps stopping at the same place (laughs) no 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 we 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 travel to different games but the only place they need to go is our bus we are the one stop for other stops (laughs) sure thanks for listening to another episode of the one stop co-op shop podcast Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and 5 and 5 reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. Links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. We're doing uh, something a little bit different this... Oh, I shouldn't jump right in like that. (laughs) Hold on a second. Linda is calling me. Yes, my love? I'm sorry. We're recording a podcast right now. Sorry. Hello? Hey. 
All right, so I'm going to try to be a little quieter because Linda and the kids are sleeping on the middle floor for some reason tonight. Oh, okay. So I'm going to be really quiet the rest of the time. Okay, so, um, no. (laughs) It's an exciting podcast. Podcasting is happening right here. And they really tried to streamline it. Streamline? Like like a, a lime in a stream? Like Corona? Streamline. Those are the most delicious limes. Yes. <laughs> the worse and worse it's going to get. And the criminal. And the criminal. <laughs> yes, the criminal. And the criminal. <laughs> the criminal and the cold. <laughs> All right. Now, I. I don't know what happened well, there. Well, what's a synonym for criminal? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I I can get through this. And the criminal just gets more... I don't even know what I was going to say. I just said the word <laughs> criminal and I was happy. <laughs> hey, Mike. Yeah? I'll see you at the next stop. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right.